Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Welcome to Epiphany's podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. I want to reflect on one of the most, what I think is a unique aspect of Jesus' death on Good Friday this evening. A unique aspect of his foretold death that is mentioned in the book of Isaiah and also all four of the Gospels. I want to speak today about the silence of Jesus, which is ironic, of course, to speak about such matters out loud when the text asks us to reflect on the question of silence. And so, if your suspicion is raised that the pastor is going to speak about silence, well, you're right to acknowledge such an irony. In Isaiah, long before Jesus' crucifixion, we are told that the Son of God, uh, the anointed man who God has chosen and will use to save the world, the people of God, will do so through substitution and suffering. And the idea of silence is put forward when the suffering servant is compared to an animal on the way to a slaughter. And we read that in Isaiah today, didn't we? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The idea in Isaiah's prophecy is that livestock on the way to the slaughter, or sheep on the way to being shorn, they are ignorant of the suffering that they are about to undergo. And so the livestock simply go where they are led and they stand where they are stood. And if these livestock knew that the end of their life was close, they would, of course, be a little bit more um, rebellious, perhaps. Or if the sheep knew they were about to lose their warm and woolly coat, they would rebel. They would yell and kick and scream or bite or tug or pull or run. But unlike ignorant livestock, the servant of God's design will know fully the suffering that is coming his way. Uh, But he will still remain silent. He will not run, nor kick, nor rebel, nor fight, but he will accept with resolve the hardship that is placed before him. And Isaiah says that the suffering will be a substitute suffering for the people of Israel. Uh, The servant will save God's people by making amends and paying off the consequences of the moral debts that they've accrued. So that's what takes place in Isaiah. Now we fast forward uh, to the New Testament. And each of the four Gospels in this New Testament, they outline a moment where Jesus remains silent to the accusations thrown at him. Uh, In our reading today from John's Gospel, Pilate has already interrogated Jesus once, and Jesus uh, has been flogged to appease the crowds. And after the mob once again affirms their desire to have Jesus executed, Pilate pulls Jesus aside privately for a second interrogation. Here's what the text says. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And so Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? 
That's our reading. And, and Jesus' silence is um, astonishing to Pilate, who in John's gospel has already tried a number of times not to have Jesus executed. Uh, you know, when you go back through, Pilate doesn't seem like such a bad guy. I mean, yeah, he does give in at the end, but he does a lot to appease the mobs, or at least try to keep Jesus alive in the midst of this. He doesn't want to kill Jesus. Um, but in our reading, you know, Jesus remains silent, and that kind of comes off as threatening to Pilate, right? What does Pilate say? Don't you know the stakes here, Jesus? Don't you know that I have the authority to kill you in a notoriously gruesome and painful way? Uh, don't you realize that your only hope for freedom, Jesus, is through the power of my political pardon? Jesus, do not disrespect me with your silence, Pilate impresses the importance of making a defense uh, to him. Jesus' life, thinks Pilate, is in his hands, to which Jesus offers a corrective, of course. Pilate would have no authority unless it had been given to him from above, meaning, of course, that Jesus' life is not in Pilate's hands, but in the hands of God. And I think this silence of Jesus is remarkable, uh, because at the root of this silence is a man who refuses to give a defense of himself. That even when his life is on the line, Jesus refuses to speak up for himself in defense. And, you know, it would have been easy for him to do that. The, the case that was laid against Jesus on Good Friday, uh, if you read through John's gospel, it was very flimsy. Uh, the assertion that Jesus was going to set himself up as a king over and against Roman rule, like that could have been proven false in two sentences. Uh, one of the tragedies of Good Friday is that the crowds are exerting this political pressure on Pilate for Jesus to be executed instead of, uh, you know, just holding him a trial and having him publicly reprimanded for his teaching. And Pilate knows this, Jesus knows this, and frankly, the Sanhedrin, the religious court of the day who's, who's advocating for Jesus' execution, they understood this as well. It's only when a handful of people purposefully misquote one of Jesus' teachings that they charge him with heresy or political rebellion. And even then, if Jesus had simply spoken up and offered a corrective, he would have walked away free. All Jesus has to say is, this is a big misunderstanding, Pilate. My movement is spiritual and not political. I'm not looking to raise an army to overthrow Caesar. That's all Jesus has to say, and he can go free. But he doesn't say this. He keeps his mouth shut. And the result is that he is led away, scourged and bloody and beaten, to be nailed to a cross of wood and hoisted up as an example of what happens to religious dissidents and political rebels. The author Marilyn Robinson teases out this idea in her 2004 novel, Gilead. Uh, the protagonist of the novel is a minister. His name is John Ames, and he's a man who's been in ministry for a long time, and he's wise to the point of being counterintuitive. He's seen it all. He's had his own prodigal son run away. His congregation is older, and it's shrinking by attrition. And young people of his rural town, they go off to college, but they come back atheists and, and, and against religion, and they try to instigate him into arguments about matters of faith. And then the, the people of Gilead, his congregation, try to get him to, to go on, to, to fight and to, to be a defender of the faith and to lever the Aquinas proofs and get uh, young people back uh, into God by arguing with them in their rationality. But John Ames refuses this request, saying... And this is, I think, a beautiful uh, phrase for us to ponder. Nothing true about God can be said from a posture of defense. Nothing true about God can be said from a posture of defense. 
And when I was in college, you know, I got an understanding of this myself. Um, it was the first part of my freshman year of college, and I was trying my hand at online debates with anonymous strangers. And it was about as effective as you can imagine. I would get on the message boards and debate the length of a creation day. I would pull out my textbooks for quotes. I would spend hours crafting page-length replies. The only real takeaway I had from that chapter of my life was that that was an ineffective and totally useless use of my time. I had lost the time. And unless God had worked some miracle that I am ignorant of, the needle was not moved for any member of the crowd I was arguing with. And the futility of this sort of defensiveness and arguing uh, was made evident to me in that season of my life. You know, there is a time and a place to talk about objective matters of faith that are true, what theologians call apologetics. Um, but I have been convinced that any attempt to defend the faith outside of a person-to-person -person context is doomed to end in failure. I'm in agreement with John Ames and uh, Marilyn Robinson. Nothing true can be said about God from a posture of defense. Which is, I think, the idea at the heart of Jesus' silence. I think this idea of speaking truth about God and being put on trial, there's nothing that can be said, uh, so to speak, in a, from a posture of defensiveness. Any attempt to defend himself, had Jesus done so, um, would have had two negative consequences. First, it wouldn't have worked, pragmatically speaking, uh, that if Jesus went to defend himself, the religious elite would still find a dastardly way to have him killed. And then the second thing that would have failed was, well, any attempt to defend himself would derail his mission to be the suffering servant that God has uh, deigned him to be. And so as the accusations fly, as Pilate interrogates him to get more information out of him, as Pilate tries to impress upon him that uh, great suffering could come his way if he does not mount a defense of himself, um, Jesus sits in silence, putting up no defense. Good Friday is a good day to reflect on silence ourselves, especially in a culture that is increasing in its rancor and rage and, and wrath. You know, you are being encouraged to speak out against this new social cause, and you are being encouraged to make statements on your social media profiles. You are encouraged to make your voices heard in the ballot boxes. Uh, speak up, speak out, make your voice known, uh, make your voice heard, make a difference. And I'm going to tell you those are fine things to do on 364 days of the year. Those are fine things to do. I'm not going to say that they're, they're bad. But if there's any thoughtful response to Good Friday, if we're going to get together and engage with Good Friday in a meaningful way, we should probably um, get together and shut our mouths and sit down for a little bit and dwell on our own faults and our own failures in silence. The vision of the prophets you of old, you see, was that when the judgment of God arrives, we would be unable to muster a sure and true defense of any charge brought against us. That we would indeed be silent, you and I would be silent, if the heavens exposed to us all of our wrongdoings. Any defense we could muster would be futile. And so while most days are fine for raising your voices in search of a better political future, uh, today is the day we mimic Jesus in silence. For our sins, friends, we can muster no defense. For our failures to live up to God's commandments, there is nothing to say. What Jesus Christ is experiencing in his torture and crucifixion is, as we said earlier, a part of his strategy of sacrificial substitution. 
He is taking upon himself the wrath of God for injustice that others like you and I deserve. As we imagine in our mind's eye on this Good Friday, the Christ nailed to the cross, struggling to hold himself up to breathe fully, bleeding from his flogged backside. We do well in our mind's eye to imagine what that pain might feel like. We do well to imagine ourselves on the cross in his stead. When we are defensive friends about our faults and our failures, we miss the point of Good Friday. As John Ames said, nothing true about God can be said from a posture of defense. And today, friends, is the day to hear the accusation from the heavens and to greet it with a humble and quiet acceptance. We all, each in our own way, have contributed to breaking apart the good world that God had made. And each of us should be humbled silent because of our trespass. But the God of Good Friday does not stay quiet. Because after three days of silence following his crucifixion, the voice of God will speak once again on the earth. Perhaps if we refrain, if we remain silent, we can hear that voice speak to us about forgiveness of sins and deliverance from the worst of the world. But to get to that place, we must follow the Lamb of God to the slaughter, silent and still, the Lamb who will take away the sins of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Pennsylvania.